Hey, so cool that there you guys all out on a Sunday. That is a perler of a vital day and everybody's here still. We love that. That's amazing. Um, what we're also doing is we also have meetings uh, during the week for you guys to attend. Uh, it's a space where you can get into a small group, um, home group, however you want to call it. Uh, we meet in homes around the region. So we've got some in, we've got Matuba and Monzi so far. We're looking to start one in St. Lucia. Um, and so those are Tuesday or Wednesday nights, generally Tuesday nights, but uh, you can have a look on our website or just chat to one of us and uh, find out where those are if you want to get along to one of those. Those are places where you get to just be loved on and cared for in a more personal and private matter. You also get to, it's a space for people to exercise their gifts, ask questions, those sort of things. It's just a bit less formal than what a Sunday morning can seem sometimes. So those are our announcements for this week. Hey, if you've got your, your Bibles with you, won't you turn in your Old Testament to the, the second book of Kings. So second Kings, uh, we're going to read from chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 19. Good. So if you've got that, we're going to turn there and we're going to, we're going to pray just as, as we get started. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is relevant for us today, that your word is powerful, that it is authoritative in our lives, Lord God, it is, it is the plumb line of our lives, uh, that your word is true, that your word is bold and declares your love, your grace, your mercy and your goodness, God. I pray that you open our hearts to receive what you want to say this morning, Holy Spirit, come and apply this word to our lives and let us be closer to you, let us know more of you, Jesus, as we explore your living word. Amen. Amen. So, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 19. It's a bit of a long portion, but we're just going to stick with it. And um, I just want to read it. It's a narrative about Naaman um, and getting, him getting healed. So it's, it starts off like this in verse 1. I'm going to read out of the NIV, so yours might be a bit different. Hey, if you, if you don't have a Bible or if you know someone who needs a Bible, there are some at the back there. There's English, Afrikaans, and Zulu that are out there. Um, so if you want to grab one of those, you can please just take one. You don't have to like, pay or anything. It's just for us to, to hand out. So um, if you need one or you know someone who needs one, please take one and, and pass it on to them. Um, all right, so verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. 
But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then? When he tells you, wash and be cleansed. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. This is the word of the Lord. Such a cool narrative. Might not be one you've heard too many sermons on, but such a cool narrative. And there's so much in here, I really had to struggle just to, just to stick to like one thing to stay this morning, just to kind of really distill it down. But we're going to go through a fair bit of what's going on here. So we're going to look at the five characters that are involved in this narrative and then seven quick things that we see coming out of it as well. But you know, this, this is a beautiful movement in this narrative between a lack of faith and an and, and active belief. So it's this constant movement of these characters who, who don't have faith, who don't know what's going on, and these others who come and remind them to, to have faith and to, to look beyond their own disbelief and beyond their own powers in this narrative. So we're going to jump straight in. And the, the five characters we see in the narrative, and we're going to start with Elisha. So Elisha was uh, Elijah, the prophet, was his protege. Elijah was a great prophet in Israel, a lot spoken about him, a lot prophesied about him to come, did some amazing miracles. And Elisha received double the portion of Elijah's uh, anointing, the spirit that was on him when he went. It was something that he did. So it's kind of confusing, but J comes before S, that's how I remember Elijah first, then Elisha afterwards. So, but you know, we, we look at Elijah in the story, and he's amazing. And, and so often, we wanna, when we read these narratives, we want to read ourselves into this part. And we're like, yes, I want to be Elijah. I, that is me. I want to be the spiritual man of God, the man of power for the hour, sent to heal the nations, to bring it in, to be so holy as to speak to the kings of our day and say, you of little faith, send him to me. I shall heal him to have the reputation of one who heals that is beyond our nation. We want to be those who are important and are super spiritual. And even when we've, when we've done the spiritual thing to refuse the payment for it, because we are that humble and we are that super spiritual. That, and that's who we want to be. And, and I mean, that gift, that gift that Naaman brought is a ridiculous amount of money. In today's money, just to, I did a quick, cal quick calculation on the, I didn't really go into the history of what it could have been, but it was at least 70 million rand. That's what he bought with him. 340 kgs of silver and 66 kgs or something of gold. 
and 10 sets of clothing, designer clothing, not just like cotton on. This is like high-end, made for the red carpet clothing. That's what he brought, like 70 million rand worth. And Elijah just says, no, no, I'm fine, keep your gift. Man, we want to read ourselves into that character, don't we? We would love to be that, have that much spiritual power and fame. But unfortunately, in the story, this is not us. We are not Elijah. If we read the Old Testament, and just a key to reading the Old Testament, whenever you read of, of, of great heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, the Samson, the David, Samuel, Elisha, Elijah, those, they are foreshadowing, they are pictures of Jesus. They are not pictures of us. They are things that we can aspire to. And yes, they are men. They are, they are just men, but they are men who loved and followed God, full of His Spirit. But they are pictures of Jesus. Each one of them shows us something of this Messiah King that was to come. Each one of them is like a, is like a, a dim reflection of like, yeah, I see something. You're not perfect. Oh, David with Bathsheba and he, even Elisha, he doesn't get it right all the time. Elijah had a heavy depressed moment and he went and hid in the desert. And, but... They're all pictures of Jesus. And that's what Elisha is in this story. He's the picture of Jesus for us. And that's why I wanted to start with him and just get that out the way and be sure that we are not have any disillusionments about how spiritual we are. So that's Elijah. He represents Jesus. And, and it's beautiful because as, as we go through the Old Testament, as we read about these things, we learn more and more about Jesus. It's like this progressive revelation that God builds on up until the point where we get to Jesus actually arriving and being with us. So as we look at Elijah in this story, we can see that he is that picture of Jesus. He is that picture of, of he's the one we come to for healing. He's the one who gives us all we need. Just at a word, he can heal everything and change our destiny. And in that moment, as we want to come and uh, we want to bring stuff to him, he's like, it's free. The healing and salvation that Jesus brings is beyond anything we can understand or ask for, and it's free. He doesn't require anything of us. There's no payment that we need to have to be saved. It's a beautiful thing. I digress. Naaman, the second character. So Naaman, his name literally means pleasant or nice. So he's kind of a nice guy. Strange name for the commander of the armies of Syria. Aram is what we know as Syria. In Greek it was known as Syria, but... He was a commander of the armies, and they were quite successful. They had, they had ongoing battles. There were times between them and Israel when there was war and peace. This was one of the peace times between them and Israel. But this guy's Naaman, would have been highly revered. He would have been second only to the king of Aram. And then the king would have been real careful with Naaman because it was quite easy if you were in control of the army to overthrow the king. And that often happened. But Naaman... Obviously submitted to his king, was humble, well, not too humble in the beginning, but he would have been really wealthy, as, we would have, as we've already seen from the gift that he brought, just to bring 70 million odd in gift, it would have been amazing. But he would have had power, he would have had influence, he would have been popular, everybody would have laughed at his jokes, it would have been ama- he would have had a pretty good life. And he had pretty much everything most of our world seeks for today. But he had one thing that he couldn't solve, and that was leprosy. Now, the word leprosy is a bit misleading because we think of one disease, we think of Hansen's disease, but it's not actually, it might not have been that. It's unlikely it would have been that actual kind of leprosy that, that he had. It would have been some form of skin issue. So it could have been anything like eczema or something like that. But, so he had the skin issue that 
would have made him unclean and would have been seen to be um, lesser than. You know, it, was, it was a degrading thing to have that. I heard someone say the other day, he said, when you've got all the money in the world, you're left with all the problems that money can't solve. Money only solves money problems. But when you've got all the money in the world, the only problems that you then really have are the ones that money can't solve. So those broken relationships, those difficult times, your health issues, those are things that money can only go so far to solve and it can't solve. And yet still we run after those things and we chase them. So, when, so there's a brilliant picture of, of how, if we look at Naaman in this story, so how he comes, he hears from the slave girl about his... Uh, the prophet in, in Israel, and he goes to the king and says, hey, I need a letter because I'm going to go into a foreign land. I'm the commander of the armies. I don't really want to just go and bully my way down there. So the king sends him with a letter, and it really is just a letter to say, hey, we're not picking a fight. This guy's coming. Just heal him and let him be healed. So Naaman takes this letter, and he leaves. He leaves probably as someone who's a little bit arrogant, a little bit, I mean, he's taken his gift. It would have just been customary to take that with, but he goes down there and he's, he's maybe a little bit self, self-assured. And we can see that because when Elisha gives him the thing to do, he says, go and wash in the Jordan. This guy's like, man, that's pathetic. I've brought like 70 bar here with me and you're telling me to go and wash in a small dirty river. Like I've got, a, I've got is my health that unimportant to you? Is it so, you know, for him, it's a big issue. It's a big thing. And he's going, man, you're, you're devaluing my health. You, you're, you're saying that I'm not that important if I just need it. And he gets a bit angry. He wants, he wants the prophet. I mean, Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. <laughs> that's, that's how amazing Elisha is. He just sends a, sends a messenger out. He just says, just tell you what, here's a message for the, oh, go out and tell him what to do. You can imagine how this commander of the armies probably turned around in that moment and thought, right, next time I'm coming back, not with the letter, but with the rest of the army. And we're going to show this prophet who's boss. So he, he came in a bit arrogant and a bit uh, uptight about himself, a bit self-important. But he goes away and his servants say to him, hey, listen, if he had asked you to do something important, you would have done it. So why not just do something simple? And, and there's a key moment for Naaman there when transformation happens. And that transformation comes on the back of revelation that his, his, um, his servants bring to him. And it's the same for us here. Transformation only comes for us on the back of revelation, on the back of seeing who Jesus is and on the back of understanding what is going on. So he chooses to go and wash himself in the, in the Jordan River. So you could have imagined him going there to the Jordan River, his whole entourage, camels, donkeys, people, servants, slaves, all there with him. And there he goes into the river, dip once, dip twice, still looking a bit red and itchy, three times, four times, five times. Six times you can imagine the servants getting a bit nervous, going like, oh, we just told him to do this and he's still not right, it's not even looking any better. Seventh time, instantly healed. Seven times, skin perfect like that of a young boy. Don't know why I chose that phrase, but that's the phrase that's in there. And that's, that's what is healed on that seventh time. We need to persevere sometimes in the things of God. Don't give up on the sixth dunk. Don't only get in the river three or four times. Go all the times. Go all seven times. Naaman gets in and he's transformed. And he comes, a transformation comes about through a simple act of faith and obedience. If he didn't have faith, he wouldn't have done it. But he could have said, yes, I have faith to be healed and not been obedient to what God told him to do. But he chose both faith and obedience. You see, 
It's crazy because he, he knows there are bigger rivers, there are better rivers near Damascus, more important rivers than the Jordan. But God chose something, and, and I mean, Naaman says, this dirty little river, you want me to go and get in that? But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27, God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and the prominent. And it's beautiful because that frees it up for all of us, especially me, to be able to preach the gospel. Because God uses the foolish things of this world. We don't have to be important for God to use us. But God does use important people as well. So we're going to look next character is the king of Israel. The king of Israel at that time. Amazing. Be in charge. The one you would expect as the king. Often referred to as the son of God or sons of God. As the king. He should have been the one to lead every the nation into faith in God. That was his, he should have been the one who acted with the most faith. Yet what happens is the letter comes and all he sees is the problems of this world. All he sees is someone picking a fight with him. He is worried about his security and his time. He's like, we are just in a time of peace. Look at this guy. He's asking me to do something impossible. He's picking a fight with me. He doesn't even think about Elisha in the desert. He doesn't even think about asking God and praying. He just immediately looks within himself. And so often we are like that. When we are faced with the troubles of this world, the things that come against us. Oh Lord, what are you doing? Why me? Instead, we need to be those who turn and say, where is God's presence? Where is his prophetic voice active? Where is God busy at the moment? Let's go there. That would have been the right response. Fortunately, Elisha saves the king. So often we react like the king of Israel, sorely lacking in faith, trusting in our own abilities. But instead, we need to be those who simply point people to Jesus and get out the way. That's what the king should have done. Is he should have said, hey, there's Elijah, go to him, I can do nothing for you. Nothing wrong with being honest. That's not the role the king had, that God had for the king. But he forgot about the presence of God in his nation through Elisha. So I want to set you free this morning. I want to set you free from, from trying to get people saved, from trying to get people healed, from trying to get people to stop doing what they should, from trying to get other people, from trying, from trying, from trying. Let us be set free from that this morning as we are transformed by revelation and we act and we live out our lives in simple acts of faith and obedience, pointing people to Jesus because He is the life. He is the one who brings transformation. It is not up to us to get people saved. It is not up to us to get people healed. Yes, God uses us to preach and to declare the gospel. He uses us to love people. He uses us to pray people for their healing. But the responsibility is not on us. Let me set you free this morning. We need to point people to Jesus and get out of the way. That is the picture of Elisha and the king in this story. And lastly, no, second to last, slave girl. Naaman's slave girl. She's amazing, this slave girl. Eh? She's, she is in, she's effectively a captive prisoner of war being forced into slavery, serving as a slave the people who captured her. So probably killed her family. Certainly some people in her village would have been killed. And now she's serving in the house of Naaman, the commander of the army serving his wife. And yet the incredible thing about this slave girl unnamed, we don't know who she is, how old she was, shows a genuine concern for her master. How incredible is that? It's, it's, a, it's, it's ridiculous. You see, 
prisoner of war turned into slave, had every right to be bitter. Had every right. Yet despite her hardships and her situation, she maintains a simple posture of love. Loving her enemy, actually. They were physical enemies. Someone took me as a slave. I don't know that I would love them. I would be very quiet about Elisha and the possibility of you being healed of your... I hope that thing kills you. Hope it spreads and your arms fall off and you die. That's how we are. If we're honest, we feel that way. And yet this slave girl, she says, man, I'm going to point you to Jesus. Simple posture of love pointing, do you know about Elisha? You can go and be healed. Simple faith. Would have been easy for her to be bitter towards God. Lord, we are your people. Look what you have done with us. We have been overthrown. I have been taken captive. No one is coming to rescue me. Why should I then point this guy to Elisha? Why should you get any glory, God, out of this moment? Would have been easy for that slave girl to be bitter. And yet she doesn't. She remains faithful to God. Her reaction stands in a very stark contrast to the king of Israel. Here is a simple slave girl, no prominence, no power. She sees the issue and she goes, I know where the presence of God is. You need to go there. Beautiful, beautiful act of faith that she has. You see, so often we have those fleeting moments, those fleeting opportunities in life to demonstrate and to point people to Jesus just by simple things of going, hey, have you thought about this? Have you seen that? Have you read this? Have you watched that? Yeah, let me share a verse with you, whatever it is. Let me lead you to the presence of God. Let me send you and give you the love of Jesus in those, mo- in those moments. So, not because of that, but because of what's coming, I probably identify most with the slave girl. And, and stick with me, it's not because I'm super faithful and all of the stuff that we've been saying about her, but for these reasons. She operates in a foreign place. She's living in a foreign land. And for us, friends, it can seem so often like we live in a place where it is so foreign to us. We live, and as Jesus said, we are in this world, not of this world. We live in a foreign place. We often live under unpleasant circumstances. We often live in hard times. We live in, a, in an age where the church is laughed at and persecuted, not only obviously in some nations, but, but subtly and subversively. We can live with very little worldly power or influence. Very little prominence. We don't necessarily have, we're not important in society. We don't have positions in government or things like that where we've got great power. We're often vulnerable and weak. That girl was at complete, she was at the complete mercy of her owner. She was a possession. She wasn't even considered as a person. It would have been a thing, like a car. If you sold it or you scrapped it or you did, it was up to you. That is how slaves were treated. So that is sometimes why I identify with the slave girl in the story because sometimes we face and we live in, a, in times that feel very overwhelming, but we know who to point people to. We don't have any power in ourselves, but we know who to point people to. We have the, we have the answer to the afflictions that the world is struggling with. We might not be the answer, but we have the answer that money and power cannot solve. And when those around us are facing insurmountable odds that is the opportunity when you see people struggling when you see them wrestling with something that is beyond their own ability and certainly beyond yours that's the opportunity to lead them to Jesus see those moments for what they are 
and point them to Jesus. Her role in this story is absolutely pivotal. She is the catalyst that brings about Naaman's healing. Without her, he would never have known about Elisha, wouldn't have gone to the king, wouldn't have traveled there, wouldn't have had the story. One unnamed slave girl taken captive, simple act of faith and obedience. And lastly, Naaman's servants. And again, this, this vacillation between faith and lack of faith, faith and disbelief. They have more faith than Naaman in those moments. And I was like, how can these guys? Why, how? He, must have been a, he must have been a really nice guy, like his name said, because they also, they go to him and they go, just do what he said. It's a simple act. Just do what he said. And I believe that their, their posture, their, their faith comes from being servants. So they were used to doing what you were told to do. They were humble enough in themselves to go, we can't, we know that we can't solve what we need to solve. So we're going to try, we, they have to trust someone else permanently because they are servants. They, they are used to it. And so often we get like Naaman where we get self-important and man, we, you know, we've, it's, it's easier and quicker for me just to buy headache tablets and to pray for God to take the headache away. We often get so self reliant that we lose the posture of a servant and we miss what God wants to do in our lives because we think oh, that thing's too silly man I can wash in other rivers I can I can do more like I can do it don't worry I don't want to bother the Lord you know we can whatever your religious answer is God's saying let it go be the servants be the humble faithful servants you have truly no other option so we are servants of God we must fully rely on him and do what he tells us and at the end thank him for everything comes from him so those are our five characters seven quick things seven quick things that we see out of this last few verses the results of pointing people to Jesus so when we like that slave girl we become those who point people to Jesus who go hey I know where the presence of God is this is what you need this is where it is it is Jesus he's going to change your life he is going to bring these things in your life and just there's more but these seven are in here and for time's sake we're just going to stick to seven the first thing we see is is healing verse 14 there is physical healing that comes to Naaman his skin is healed and it's an it's an amazing thing how often we see Jesus heal people and the reason why we see that so often and the reason why it's important that we see the physical healing is not only because he honors the word of Elisha and, and he's, he's true to what he says, but because healing is obviously uh, sickness and things like that are, are a result of the fall of sin. So they are the signs of death in our body, signs of physical death in our body that we suffer because of sin, the original sin at Adam and Eve. And so what Jesus does by bringing in healing, physical healing into people's lives, it is a beautiful demonstration of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. He's giving us a little glimpse of what the reality is going to be like of an eternity in heaven in the full presence of God. Verse 14, the healing comes and Naaman's skin is like that of a young boy. Incredible thing that God actually heals an adversary of his nation. He, he uses healing to break into Naaman's life. And it's, it's amazing because God, it says in, in verse 1 or 2, it says, that, yeah, verse 1, the Lord had given victory to Aram. So God had already been using Naaman, possibly without Naaman even knowing. And God heals the enemy of his people. Healing is a, is a powerful tool for evangelism and transformation. 
Never be afraid to pray for someone's healing if you feel that that is the moment that God is speaking to that person. Ask God, can I pray for this person? Will you heal this person? If you're unsure, pray anyway. You never know. Healing. The second thing that comes is salvation. Verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Amazing. In that moment, Naaman, being pointed to Jesus, has this experience, this encounter with Elisha, healed, salvation comes. There is revelation that happens and transformation comes in his heart. He re- yeah, I now know. Revelation. His eyes have been opened. There is no God except for the one in Israel. When we point people to Jesus, it's salvation comes from that moment. There is salvation in, found in no other place but that. The third thing that comes is generosity. When we point people to Jesus, the, the natural response out of that thing is like, I've received more than I could ever have. Generosity is a natural response of being in the presence of Jesus. If you are living an ungenerous life, stingy life, I want to encourage you, get in the presence of Jesus. And please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying put money in the baskets. I'm talking about being generous with everything that you have in your life to everyone in your life. Find ways to be generous to others. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your emotions. Be generous with your possessions. Be generous with everything that you are and that you have. Because everything you have comes from God and He has given everything for you. As Nick shared right uh, during the worship, that God has given. It is a natural outflow. Naaman says, I'm healed. I could never have bought it here. I have everything. Not out of guilt, not out of having trying to buy something from God. It's a natural overflow. Generosity results when we point people to Jesus. The fourth thing is a devotion. Verse 17. Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. Naaman, in that moment, the revelation that he has is that there's one God and that I need to be devoted to that one God. I'm not going to celebrate or worship any others. Incredible. This guy hasn't been to any Bible studies. He hasn't been to home group. He hasn't done any online courses. He hasn't read his Bible. He's simply been in the presence of God. And he's been touched by God. He's had a revelation that has brought transformation in his life. And he has this devotion. I will serve no other. I will serve only God. The fifth thing is humility. Incredible how the shift in the story happens when Naaman comes in, commander of the armies, 70 million whole crew in tow, rocks up, wants to do important things to be healed, goes away, verse 18. And he calls himself a servant. He's speaking to Elisha and Naaman says, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. Gone from being angry at Elisha to calling himself Elisha's servant. Amazing shift that happens there. There's a humility that comes when we point people to Jesus. When, we're in the, when we encounter God, we realize. When you get in the presence of God, you know it because you realize He is God and I am not. And there is a humility that flows from that place. The next thing that happens is there's forgiveness. And he says, right at the bottom, he says, 
May, when he, he's saying, when I have to bow down, when I, look, I, I've got to go back culturally. I have to be sensitive. I've got to serve. I'm still the commander of the armies. I've got to go into a foreign temple. I've got to help the king. I know how this works. It's coming. Please forgive me. And he receives that forgiveness. It's incredible. When we point people to Jesus, there is forgiveness that comes. I don't know that there is any greater, I don't want to call it a tool, any greater thing, tool, power that the church has than forgiveness. Forgiveness breaks down walls that separate us. Forgiveness breaks open hard hearts. Forgiveness speaks into people's innermost being and the longing that they have to be accepted. And that's what God does with us. When we point people to Jesus, we experience that forgiveness. Pure, true, and utter forgiveness. And from that place, we can forgive. Because we are forgiven. And the last thing that we see coming out of there in verse 19 is peace. What an amazing thing that Elisha says to him. He doesn't answer his questions. He doesn't, I mean, that is a way of saying, you're okay, when he asks for that forgiveness what he's going to have to do and Elisha says go in peace incredible in a world of busyness and turmoil and striving peace to be a non-anxious presence wherever you're at is like it will draw people like moths to a flame when you carry with you not only peace with God through salvation that is the forgiveness of sins that we have. But when you carry with you the peace of God, you can walk into any moment, into any difficult meetings, into difficult situations, and know that God is there and that you have that full, complete blessing of God. That you can carry the peace of God that comes only from pointing people to Jesus. Not only peace with God, but peace of God in those moments. It is so attractive to the world. God's word to us is often so simple. You see, we want, like, like Naaman, we want the flashy, we want the show, we want the purple lights and smoke machines. But God's word to us, friends, in those moments is often so simple. And I love what came out in that testimony of, of Bev and Dennis this morning. Dave did a simple act of obedience. I see an airplane, I see this, I see that. Don't, don't unpack your bags for too long. Get ready. Caleb's spirit, it's coming. Simple act of faith and obedience. Dave didn't know what was coming in their lives. Simple, simple things. God is so often just asking us to do the small things. Hey, stop and pay attention to that person for five minutes. How are you doing? How's, it going? How's your day? Are you all right? We want the flashy and the showy. But oftentimes it's the simple little things that God asks us to do that require much more faith, that require much more obedience. We need to be those who, who tell the nations about Jesus. And not, not some, and I'm careful on this, but not some Jesus of our own experience. Yes, there is that, and yes, there is the intimacy that we have with God, and we do experience Jesus. But we need to tell people about the Jesus of the Bible, the full Jesus, the complete Christ, the Son of God. That's who we need to tell him about. If he is our, if he is our source, as we spoke about last week, then, then we will be those that that living water flows out, that brings life wherever we go, that brings the presence of God 
E.P. Clowney, who was an amazing, amazing theologian of the 20th century, he said, he said this. He said, missionary messengers must today be prophets of God's righteousness, calling the nations to repentance. That is us, friends. We are missionary messengers. Our role is to be prophets of God's righteousness. We are to speak God's righteousness into situations. We are to live God's righteousness into the, into the environments that we are in. And we are to call the world to repentance. We are to call them to truth. We are to call them to say, you need to change. You can't, you can't encounter God and be the same. Ne- you can never encounter God and be the same. You see how much changed in Naaman's life. He had the healing and yet he still changed. Would have been easy for him to say, oh, well, I'm healed now. You don't want the gift? Fine by me. I came to bring you the gift. Not my fault. Go back and carry on living his life. But he had encountered the presence of God. And that brought transformation. We've got to be like a compass that continually points people to Jesus. You don't have to ask a compass to point north. It just points to magnetic north. Just to be technically correct. It just points there. And that should be how we are. We shouldn't have to think, oh, in this moment, okay, how do I point people to Jesus? How do I, what am I going to do? It should just come naturally out of us. Where we, from having been in the presence, from having Jesus as our source, we then naturally, we're just aligned. Like, whatever you ask me, what do I do with my kids? Lead them to Jesus. What do I do with my wife? Lead her to Jesus. What do I do with my business? Lead it to Jesus. What do I do with my employees, my boss, my family? All of those things, lead them to Jesus. Be like that slave girl in those moments. Be that non-anxious presence of God that brings peace. I want to leave you with this Psalm 96, verses 2 and 3. As an instruction for us, as a charge to us going out. This is what the Lord says. He says, sing to the Lord, praise His name, proclaim His salvation day after day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all the peoples. And I love it because there's a double-double in there. Sing and praise. Proclaim and declare. Singing and praising comes only from being in the presence of God. It's hard to praise something truly that you don't really admire. It's like watching the sharks. You can kind of like cheer sometimes, but not all the time. And then they give a penalty try in like the 82nd minute. And you're just going, I cannot sing of your glory this day. I was going to, but I shall not anymore. Can't even tell people how good you are. But when we, when we are in the presence, when we are with God, we can sing and we can praise and we can declare. That is a life, it speaks of a life of worship. It speaks of a life of overflow that out of my heart are these things are going to come from being with God. And then they proclaim His salvation, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds. Declaring His salvation day after day is speaking the truth about there is only one way to be saved and that is Jesus. That is the, the obvious practical things of saying, can you share the gospel in 30 seconds, 3 minutes, and 30 minutes, 3 hours? Can you, can you speak about it real quick? Can you explain it shortly? And can you explain it, talk about it for a long time? Know the gospel. Know how to share and tell people, Jesus loves you and so do I. Essence of the gospel right there. Jesus died for your sins. What? What do you mean? I'm not sinful. I'm a good person. Okay, let's get into it. Declare his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the, the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. Look for testimonies of what God is doing. Look for prophetic words that have been answered. Beautiful. They, Dennis, and Dennis was saying that they had forgotten about that, that word that Dave gave them. 
They had, and, and in a moment, yesterday, God reminded them of it. Give that testimony. Yeah, you know, you get there and you're like, hey, you know, God loves you. Yeah, but is he really active? Well, let me tell you about what he did. He told us something seven years ago, and it's now coming true. That's how much he loves us. Told us how to, what to do with our luggage. That's how involved he is in our lives. It's beautiful, friends, but have testimonies. We, we so often, we, we move on from things that God has done in our lives. We forget. Look for the little things that God is doing in your lives. Look for the little moments where he is, he is just showing up in your life. And remember those things. Those are the greatest testimonies to, the, to, the, to your family and to the people around you. We need to be that compass that points people to Jesus. Like that slave girl did with her master. A posture of love, not bitterness. A posture of love towards our enemies and those that are against us. That says, hey, I know where God is. That's what you need. You need the presence of Jesus in your life. Let me show you where to go. And then get out the way and let them go. And let Jesus do the rest of what he's got to do. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who liberates us. You are the one who brings freedom in our lives. You're the one who brings joy and wholeness to us, God. I thank you that in every situation that we face, we can do it with joy and with peace in our hearts. Because we know that you are God and we are not. Jesus, I pray this week that you open our eyes. Holy Spirit, come and show us the opportunities that we have to love on those around us. Come and show us those simple, small, small fleeting moments that we have to point people to you. And Jesus, where, we have, where our compasses have become stuck, where we've become jammed maybe, why don't you come and free us? Come and align us aright again so that we can point people to you. God, I thank you for opportunities over and over again to speak of your love and of your goodness, your grace and your mercy. Holy Spirit, I pray that as, as we go into this week that you would remind us of how and where you've been busy, of the things that you've been doing in our lives so that we have a testimony in those moments, Lord God. And Father, I pray for anybody here this morning that is unsure of your presence, that is feeling stuck, that is feeling like things are not changing. I pray, Lord God, Holy Spirit, that you would bring a revelation in their lives, that you would bring a revelation of your love, that you would bring a revelation of your character, of who you are, Jesus, of just how much you have paid for us, of just how much you love us. Bring that revelation, God, a true, honest knowing of you so that we can be transformed. God, I thank you that you are with us, that you are alive, that you are active and that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you that we get to be a part of your kingdom, Jesus, as you advance it. May we be bold and fearless in singing and praising you this week. May we be bold and fearless in declaring and proclaiming your salvation and your marvelous deeds among all the peoples. As always, God, we do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.